Good morning, friends. Whether you're joining us in the room or from the Zoom, welcome and welcome back to chapel here at Eastern Mennonite Seminary. We will have um, a few fun changes and additions to the uh, to the order you have in front of you, and so uh, get ready for a, a a fun time together in prayer, worship, and song. But let's uh, begin with a deep breath in together and a deep breath out, and let's join together in a word of prayer. Uh, This prayer comes to us all the way from the fourth century, uh, the church father, St. Ambrose. Holy Spirit, come upon us this hour without delay. Pour out your graces on our souls. Let tongue and soul and mind and strength proclaim your praise. Set our love aflame by the fire of your love, and may its warmth enkindle love in our neighbors. Empower us with your presence in the name of Christ. Amen. And we have our first hymn is a surprise hymn. Uh, On the screen, just not on the green sheet. Uh, You can either find it on the walls here around you or in your Voices Together hymnal uh, number 813. I invite you to stand in body or spirit as you're feeling comfortable this morning and let's sing together.
wonderful friends. Y'all can have a seat. Our scripture reading this morning will come from John 13, almost the entirety of the whole chapter. Um, we're going to do something a little different and divide it up into four sections. Um, in between each of the sections, we have a short um, hymn of response, so reading song, reading song, reading song. And uh, I'll invite our, our, our readers up. I'll be reading the first two sections and then I'll invite Tabitha to come up to read the second two sections. John chapter 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And if you are clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Jesus had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now, before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. verse 20. I will start at 21. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon, Ascarot. After he had received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. So some thought that because Judah had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out 
and it was night. This is my When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. God has been glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is my is my another. I specifically chose this as the title that evokes another question in the Gospels, the one that is alluded to, I think, in our passage today. Who is my neighbor? During the month of January, I've had a lot of reason to consider neighbors. It began earlier this month when, as part of EMU's Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration weekend, I attended the tour of the Northeast neighborhood in Harrisonburg, led by Monica Robinson. If you're not familiar with it, the Northeast neighborhood is a historic African-American community in Harrisonburg, 
where in the 1950s and 60s, homeowners' land was taken by the city of Harrisonburg for a so-called urban renewal. Ms. Robinson showed us sites where houses once stood that are now commercial properties, like the Wolf Street parking deck, local administrative offices, Klein's Dairy Bar, pictured here, 7-Eleven, Rose's Department Store. She also pointed out some of the historic houses that remain, where strategic African-American leaders lived who nurtured a distinctive communal identity so neighbors could thrive together in the midst of injustice. Local families since have welcomed new neighbors from many cultures. On a prominent street in the Northeast neighborhood, a Mennonite church stands today. It was built on the former site of a swimming pool during the era of segregation. EMS graduate Matthew Booker, pastor of Emmanuel Mennonite Church, was along on our tour earlier this month. He's pictured here in the blue striped shirt. He has learned the local narratives and led his congregation in reckoning with the racialized history of their presence in the community. In 2015, the congregation erected this welcome sign that you see pictured here with the message, no matter where you're from, we're glad you're our neighbor. In English, Spanish, and Arabic, the common languages in the Northeast neighborhood today. They did this in advance of the 2016 election to take a stand toward welcome for all neighbors. Maybe you've seen this sign in places other than the Northeast neighborhood in Harrisonburg. About 10 years ago, it went viral and popped up all over the country. These signs have been in lawns, in the suburbs, in the rural areas, at marches and protests, in city building windows. I put one up when I lived in Princeton, New Jersey. I saw one when I was in Chicago one time and everywhere in between. The sign evokes this enduring question, who is my neighbor? We recall that a lawyer asked Jesus this question after Jesus identified the greatest commandments in the law as love for God and neighbor. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to that question. In Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I've Been to the Mountaintop speech the day before he was murdered, he cited this parable. And he said, quote, Jesus ended up saying, this was the good man, this was the great man, because he had the capacity to project the I into the thou, to be concerned about his brother. And so the first question that the priest asked, and the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? A year earlier, in a speech written by Mennonite pastor, scholar, activist, Vincent Harding, King referenced the same parable by calling for transformation of the conditions that lead people to experience distress on the Jericho Road. In this speech, 
King said, true compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. So we learn it's not enough to care for a neighbor in distress like the Good Samaritan did on the Jericho Road. It requires systemic transformation. The Jericho Road parable repositions a social other as a neighbor, one whose well-being is just as important as one's own. King references philosopher Martin Buber's I-thou relation, seeing an other as a thou, not as an it, not as an object, but as a subject. Loving our neighbor as ourself requires a decentering of self-interest in order to care for the other's needs. One of my professors in seminary, Bo Karen Lee, often cited an excerpt from this novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky when discussing Jesus' command to love neighbor. In the novel, Ivan Karamazov famously declares that he loves humanity, but he cannot love his neighbors, for they have, quote, smelly, stupid faces. <laughs> One can love one's neighbors in the abstract, or even at a distance, but at close quarters, it's almost impossible. The moment the face appears, all love is gone. Jesus showed love both for the one defined as other by religious and social structures, as well as the one defined as another. So in my choice of the scripture passage from John 13, rather than the Samaritan passage in Luke, I'm inviting us to move from some vague concept of neighbor, sensed as an other, to the particular and the specific another. The one with whom we share space common experiences, the one present in our own inner circles who we cannot stand, the one we are so close to we can smell them on a daily basis. I'm inviting us to focus on this because I believe that in order to love our neighbors well, those who might be considered others, we first have to cultivate our capacities to love our another's. Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves echoes his prolific teachings about love throughout the Gospels. At one of the most pivotal moments in his life that Lydia and Tabitha read about to us the night before his arrest, Jesus doesn't turn outward to Samaritans and travelers on the Jericho Road. He turns inward to his own disciples. Indeed, in order to fully make right the systemic oppression that creates the unsafe conditions like the Jericho Road, I think there has to be harmony and justice among key players within a community. Insular arguments over the right place to worship and who is in and out of the inner circle of religious community is what led people to avoid Samaria altogether and mistreat people across social divides. As we know from when Jesus chose to travel through Samaria, he goes straight to the heart of this social conflict. He puts his body in a place where he encounters a woman at a well 
who his own religious structures would construe as other. He talks with her as an equal. He welcomes her. He welcomes her neighbors into the community he is creating, a community of concrete practices of love for one another, as scholar Paul Waddell puts it. This posture of inclusive love and responsibility taking toward one's most immediate neighbors makes possible just treatment of those beyond an immediate community. When those within the inner circles are busy trying to circumscribe one another out, how will they treat those even further away who they do not know? So on the night before his arrest, Jesus instructs his disciples to love one another. Jesus points them inwardly, as he did, like his explanation of the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Fundamentally, if you do not love yourself, you cannot love your neighbor. And if you do not love those closest to you, you cannot love those far away. It's like in 1 John chapter 4, how can we love one who we cannot see if we cannot love the one right in front of us? So before we can respond to the question of who is my neighbor or who is my other, we must face the question, who is my another? The Greek word, alelon, translated into English as one another, appears some 100 times in the New Testament. John 13, our scripture passage for today, is the first time it appears in the chronological text of the Gospels where it's part of a command, not just a general description of events that occurred. Jesus offers the first one another in command here in this passage in John after washing his disciples' feet with all the disciples present who would deny and betray Jesus. Peter and Judas, we know, are there. They're named. To these another's, their faces smelling of pride, self-interest, violence, disloyalty, Jesus declares his love for them. He tells them also to love one another. This Greek term for one another is a reciprocal plural pronoun. Think mutuality. Think friendship, as Jesus mentions in this larger passage, as he calls his disciples friends. In this inner circle, Jesus did not ask just one disciple to wash everyone else's feet. He asked them to wash one another's feet, to care for and be cared for in return. Jesus' demonstration of service is mutual. It's not one-sided. He demonstrates true friendship in which each person tends to another's needs and receives care for their own. Like Ivan Karamansov, I find it easier to love some vague idea of a neighbor with whom I don't have immediate contact, rather than my another with whom I have regular interactions. It's often hardest to love those with whom we're in closest proximity. I'm reminded of how Howard Thurman says that contact without fellowship is what breeds hate. 
Dissent was boiling among Jesus' disciples on the night he told them to love one another and showed them how to embody love by serving each other in mutuality. As intense internal conflict boils up within our communities, among those with whom we have proximity, I'm reminded of a speaker I heard challenge Mennonite Church USA a few years ago. How can a peace church preach a gospel of peace when you cannot get along with one another? Perhaps you feel this internal conflict in your own communities, your networks of friends, your extended family. Jesus invited his closest companions into mutuality, into service of one another, the sharing of both care and power. So I invite you to ponder these questions together. Who is my neighbor? Who is my another? Like foot washing that Jesus chose, what are concrete practices of love that you might seek to demonstrate toward another in close proximity? The another who reeks of some kind of smell you cannot stand. Our well-being is tied both to those within and beyond our social circles, our neighbors and our another's. We belong to one another as members of the human family created by God to bear God's image. Our flourishing is all bound up together. As a symbol of our desire to practice love for one another, I invite you to participate in a ritual of hand washing this morning and Reverend Brett will provide us with instructions. Uh, it's like uh, Dr. Mixler just shared with us, it is hard to love our neighbors when they get close, but this morning we are going to get close to one another. Um, in this passage, uh, Jesus instructs his disciples to wash one another's feet. Uh, in the past few years, we've also discovered uh, the importance of hand washing, and so that will be what we're doing this morning. Um, in a few moments, um, as, um, as music plays, I'll invite you to come up as you feel led, one at a time. Uh, I'll go first, so the first person comes up. Uh, uh, there's water in a pit, and, in a pitcher there, pour some water over, of course, I'll be up first, so my hands, uh, uh, wash them in the water, dry them with the towel, and then when you're done washing, stay up so the next person coming up can wash your hands, so on and, and so forth. And when all have come forward, I'll go again to wash that last person's hands as we conclude. Um, but before we do that, um, let's join together in um, a song a modern setting of an ancient prayer, Kyrie Eleison, Lord have mercy. You can find it on either 796 of your Voices Together hymnal or the words around you.
our final hymn before we go back into whatever the rest of this day may hold for us um, echoes that new and greatest commandment. Um, you'll find it either on page 288 of the Voices Together hymnal or the Walls Around. Uh, this is originally intended um, as a round, you'll see it, and if, I guess if you have your hymnal, you'll see it in three different sections. We're going to, to do it slightly differently to, um, together in unison. Uh, we'll do the first section twice through, the second section twice through, and then end with the first section again twice through. Clear as mud? Excellent. seeking concrete practices of love with your neighbors and your another's. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>